John chapter 7 tonight. If you have your Bible, you can turn there with me. The Gospel of John will be there in just a moment. Uh, A question for you tonight I want you to think about, and I mentioned it this morning as we were wrapping up. It's a question Jesus answers clearly in the text that we're returning to this evening after having considered this uh, passage this morning, the first nine verses of John chapter 7 this morning. This may be a question you've asked uh, when you've been maybe bewildered about why more people don't believe in Jesus. Now, the question is this, why, why does the world hate Jesus? Why does the world hate Jesus? We see Jesus point to this in verse 7. Look at John 7, verse 7. The world cannot hate you, he said to his chosen twelve, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. Why does the world hate Jesus? Jesus came and spoke truth into darkness, spoke truth about people's sins, called people to repentance and faith. Bible scholar and commentator J.C. Ryle addressed this issue clearly when he wrote these words. Probably over 250 years ago, he wrote, There is one principal reason why many hate Christ. These words, the ones in John 7-7, reveal one of those secret principles which influence men in their treatment of Christ. They help to explain that deadly enmity with which many during our Lord's earthly ministry regarded him and his gospel. It was not so much the high doctrines which he preached, as the high standard of practice which he proclaimed, which gave offense. It was not even his claim to be received as the Messiah, which men disliked so much as his witness against the wickedness of their lives. In short, they could have tolerated his opinions if he would have only spared their sins. True. Very true. Listen to that statement again uh, from J.C. Ryle, that last statement, because we see the same kind of thing happening and going on today. Um, When the the church speaks out about something, when the church has the nerve to speak out about the sin around them in the world in which they live, when the church speaks out about the gross and and vulgar and... um, shameful things that go on in the world in which we live, the things that are celebrated by the world, when the church has the gall to speak out against those things because because the Bible says it's wrong, (laughs) Uh, we see this kind of response. In fact, uh, when the world strikes out at the church, you know the world is striking at Jesus. Um, uh, We saw it this summer. Uh, this summer, some pastors in the community, myself included, signed a letter which went to the mayor and spoke uh, by way of that letter to the mayor speaking out against that uh, transvestite show that was going to happen on the square, that, um, that drag queen show that, that they advertised as a family event. Um, it, it's, um, it's shocking, right? And it appalls us. And so when we speak out, 
Well, listen to that statement again from J.C. Ryle. They could have tolerated his opinions, speaking of Jesus' opinions, if he would only have spared their sins. You know, the, the culture, the community, the, the, the world that we live in is fine with us meeting and fine with us preaching what we want to preach and teaching what we want to teach, just as long as we keep it to ourselves and um, don't speak the truth into darkness like Jesus did. Uh, so why does this world hate Jesus? I want to dig a little deeper into that question this evening. Uh, look at John 7 again. And look at verse 1. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Uh, it wasn't that he was afraid. It was that, as we noted this morning, the time was not yet. The time had not come for him to go and be killed, to be persecuted to death. But in that statement, we hear that hatred. There were those who were seeking to kill him. Why does the world hate Jesus? Jesus gives the answer to that question. I read it already. It's verse 7. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. It's the same answer we hear. Uh, we just read from the Proverbs, but this is much earlier in Proverbs. It's the same answer we hear in Proverbs 9, verses 7 and 8, which says, Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, and he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. And so again, Jesus says, John 7, 7, that the world hates him because I testify about it that its works are evil. Now, uh, Sometimes I think we're surprised, but it shouldn't surprise us that people don't like being told that they're sinners. But, but people need to understand that, and, and it's part of the gospel. People need to realize uh, part of the good news is that there's bad news, and the bad news is you're a sinner in need of a Savior. You need to be saved. You need to be forgiven your sins. But people don't like to be told that. People don't like to be confronted with something they've done wrong. Do you like it when somebody points out something you've done wrong? <laughs> um, I do not. I do not like that. I'm, I'm guessing you don't like that either. Who goes looking for correction? How many of you have gone to someone recently and said, hey, is there anything in my life you think I'm doing wrong? <laughs> Nobody says that, right? We don't, we don't go looking for correction. And yet... You heard the proverb I just read, right? Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. Uh, the scriptures call us to be wise people that welcome correction that's needed. And yet, uh, because of our sinful nature, we do not like correction. We don't seek correction. Who goes looking for it? No one. It's part of our sinful, fallen nature, resisting being corrected. It's what's going on in the world when the world turns on Jesus and hates Jesus or hates the, the message that comes from Jesus' followers. It's that sinful, fallen nature, resisting being corrected, scoffing at correction. We especially bristle when we're corrected and we think we've done nothing wrong. And um, there's a lot of things in our lives that Satan would like to convince us that are not wrong, that don't dishonor God. That's okay. You can do that. But 
Uh, there are some times when we feel like we've been corrected and, we, and we're trying to figure out, what did I do, what did I do wrong? And, and we really bristle at that, don't we, when we're corrected and we feel like we've done no wrong. I think of this sometimes, often. Um, many years ago, I was with a couple of my sons, and we were driving in our van. We had a great big van. And the thing was interesting. I don't know what the deal was with the fan, but the fan on the engine was really loud at low speed. So when you'd pull away from a stop sign, it would go really loud. And we were, you're going really slow, but it sounds like you're racing the engine. And one day we were in a little quiet community. We are pulled away from a stop sign, turned the corner, and the van's going really loud. And this lady standing in her front yard whips around and goes, slow down, really loud. It was in the summertime. I had the window down. And the boys were like, what? And we just laughed really loud because this lady was like, slow down. And I thought, I wasn't doing anything wrong. It was just my loud car. I'm sorry, you know. I wanted to turn around in the flesh and go back and drive really fast, you know. So, she, so she'd have something to yell at me about. You don't like being corrected when you've done no wrong. How about being corrected when you've done wrong? We like that even less, don't we? It's not in our sin nature to seek correction. And so I hope you can understand that. That's what's going on in the world when they hear the truth of the sin that they're involved in and that conviction comes, often there's this striking back or striking out. That's what was happening against Jesus. So those who were seeking to kill him. It's not in our sin nature to seek correction, but it is, it is in our new nature. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit moves in and takes up residence and helps you, helps you take correction properly if you'll take it uh, with with grace and with the help of the Lord. Um, Proverbs fifteen twelve says, A scoffer does not like to be reproved. He will not go to the wise. And yet, believers, with the help of the Holy Spirit, with the help of God's Word, we can be corrected. I, I trust that you can be corrected when God's Word... You, you hear me pray this. I hope you hear me pray this often, that as we come to the Word, God may have some correcting for us. I hope you take that correction from God, from His Word, with grace, with a willingness to, to be molded by the truth and changed. Um, but the world doesn't like that. The world hates that. Uh, Satan hates that. Satan hates the truth. He's a deceiver. He's the father of lies. And in fact, because of our sinful nature, we are more inclined in our sinfulness, in our sin nature, to exalt sin and, and um, belittle good, uh, belittle righteousness. We're more inclined to exalt wrong over right. Now that we see that in the world that we live in, don't we? This this inclination in the world to celebrate sin and celebrate the things that the, the Bible speaks plainly against, which are depraved, and make little of, or even scorn, or even call wrong the things that are righteous and and God honoring. Well, we see that a lot today. It happens all over. Um, over the things the Bible speaks clearly on and calls us to obey. Uh, the world will exalt the sin and, and uh, hate the righteous and celebrate the sin and belittle the righteous. Well, Jesus warned about this when he made it clear, you'd better examine yourself uh, when everyone speaks well of you. Luke 6.26 says, Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for, their fathers, uh, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Be careful if you, uh, if, if as a church we didn't have 
any pushback from anyone in the community. Uh, if, if you as a follower of Christ in your life don't receive any pushback from an unbeliever, any, any disagreement from an unbeliever, you may, you may be doing something wrong <laughs> in your faith. You may not be honoring the Lord with your life. And that truth becomes more clear when you consider this from John 15. John 15 and verse 19, when Jesus says to his followers, If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. So if you're a believer in Jesus and you're getting a standing ovation from the world, you're probably doing something wrong because the world likes to exalt over sin and scorn righteousness. And that's what the Bible makes clear. Uh, listen to Romans 8, 7. For the mind that is set on the flesh, you know, the rest is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. The mind set on the flesh. What's that? The mind that's fixed on, fixated on doing what I want to do. What I think is going to make me happy. What I want. The mind fixed on that is hostile to God. Why? Because God opposes that kind of self-centered, uh, self-centeredness and selfishness. So we live in a world that, according to its sin nature, exalts and prefers lies over the truth, and we shouldn't be surprised at that. We should be prepared for it. And how... How should we respond? We should respond with the truth. You know, that's, that's what Jesus did. I read that passage in Matthew this morning when, when Satan tried to tempt Jesus, and Jesus responded to him with the truth of the gospel, the truth of the, the word. And that's how we ought to respond, and we ought to stand with the truth. Uh, the, 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 God's word is all we tr- truly have to use as uh, the tool to share the gospel in this world in which we live. And so when the world turns on us or turns against the truth we proclaim, we don't turn from the truth also. We stay with the truth. We keep proclaiming the truth. Uh, God's word is, is powerful, pa- powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword, right? Later in John's gospel, Jesus says, John 15 uh, verses 23 through 25, whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have seen and hated both me and my Father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without cause. And earlier in John three nineteen, and this is the judgment, the light has come into the world, and the people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. We're seeing here why the world hates Jesus. Why the world will turn on followers of Jesus and oppose followers of Jesus. In John, uh, 1 John 3, in verse 12, we're told this. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Jesus spoke out clearly against sin. And so it shouldn't surprise us that Jesus is hated because of this. And it shouldn't surprise us when the world pushes back against the church or out against the church 
when the world, uh, when the church stands for the truth and speaks against sin. Jesus came to bring life, but the world will reject that life, just as we saw them rejecting Jesus. The world turned on him and crucified him. It's his sacrifice, which is the very cure for their sin, our sin, and yet we see it, the world striking out against Jesus, and it still happens today, doesn't it? It breaks our hearts sometimes, doesn't it? When we, we want to share the gospel with someone we care about, we, we've gotten to know maybe uh, in the workplace or by doing business with them or neighbor, and, and we want them to know the truth, and they kind of stiff arm us and go the other way. It breaks, breaks our hearts. And so Jesus spoke, and he spoke of repentance, and he pointed to that need for sinners to admit that they're sinners and challenge sinners with their need for uh, repentance, turning that, that repentance is turning from sin and turning to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And they would receive forgiveness of sins if they would. But people rejected him for that, and many people still reject Jesus for that today. It doesn't, um, it doesn't get any easier, does it? No, we, I say don't be surprised by it, but sometimes we're still surprised by it, and, and it's still a hard thing to take when you're trying to share the gospel with someone who desperately needs it. And you can see by what they're, the way they're living, by the way they're speaking, they are blind. They are blind and cannot see the truth. Quoting Bible commentator uh, J.C. Ryle again, he says, The principle, we may be sure, is one of universal application. It is at work now just as much as it was 1,800 years ago. The real cause of many people's dislike, remember he wrote this over 250 years ago, the real cause of many people's dislike to the gospel is the holiness of living which it demands. You hear that? You see, the gospel declares the truth that we're sinners in need of a Savior and makes clear that the, the path for us is, is holiness. We need to pursue holiness and righteousness. Teach, teach abstract doctrines, he says, only. Teach abstract doctrines only, and few will find any fault. Denounce the fashionable sins of the day and call on men to repent and walk consistently with God, and thousands at once will be offended. The true reason why many profess to be infidels and abuse Christianity is the witness that Christianity bears against their own bad lives. Like Ahab, they hate it from 1 Kings 22.8, because it does not prophesy good concerning them, but evil. Yes, and uh, this is true as well, isn't it? It's almost like he wrote this uh, for our day and time, even though he wrote this a long time ago. It's still true, isn't it? Still people uh, uh, reject the truth, resist the truth, strike out at the truth, strike out at those who deliver the truth. Now, let me point to a challenge that we face. We've seen the scriptures, so we've heard the scriptures that show us why the world hates Jesus, hates the message of Christ. But here's a challenge that we face, and when it comes to speaking to people about their sin, this is where some Christians cringe. Um, some might say, do we, do we have to preach against sin? You'll hear some say, Uh, just preach Jesus is love or God is love, right? Just just tell them that God loves them and has a wonderful plan for their life. Just tell them that. Don't don't talk to people about their sin. Do we have to preach on sin? And uh, we really need to be careful here. We cannot leave this part of the formula, (laughs) this part of the truth, 
out if we want to tell people the truth? Do we have to tell, some will say, do we have to tell people that they're sinners who need forgiveness? And for that forgiveness, they need to repent. In other words, they need to admit that they're sinners and be willing to turn from their sin. Can't they just believe in Jesus? Isn't that enough? Is that what Jesus taught? (laughs) Is that what he taught? Is that what Jesus taught? Just believe, or did he teach his followers to point to sin and call for repentance? Uh, I'll, I'll clue you in. Jesus taught the latter. You read the New Testament, you'll see that. Go with me to Luke chapter 24. We'll look at this just for a minute. Luke 24, the setting in Luke 24 is Jesus' appearance to his disciples after his resurrection and before his ascension. And what did Jesus do? What did Jesus teach? What did he expect of his followers? Luke 24, beginning at verse 44, Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And then look at verse 47. And that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. Beginning from Jerusalem, you are witnesses of these things. Is that an important statement or what? A very important statement. That that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, to anyone who will listen. So the pattern that Jesus laid out for us is clear here. We're to proclaim in Jesus' name, not just believe in Jesus and be saved, but we're to help people see that they're sinners in need of a Savior. We preach repentance and forgiveness of sin. In fact... I think we dishonor God when we gloss over sin, when we make little of it, when we're, when we're afraid of offending someone by, by pointing out, hey, you're, you're a sinner in need of a Savior. You've sinned and you've offended a holy and righteous God and there's no way for you to be saved unless you repent of sin and believe in Jesus, put your faith in Him. We cringe. If we, if we cringe and don't say that, we're afraid to tell people that truth. I think we dishonor God in many ways and we do not do anyone any favors when we water down the truth just so we'll keep from offending people. In fact, people need to be offended in some ways. They need to be woken up from their stupor, so to speak. Sinners who need to know they're sinners need to hear the truth of the gospel. As Jesus says, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. Repent. Repent should be our message. Turn from your sin, believe in Jesus, and he will save you and he will give you the help and he will give you the power that you need to have a changed life, to turn from your sinful ways.
I think it's harmful to people who need Christ to suggest that all they have to do is simply believe. Just believe. It sounds good, but that's not the whole truth. Simply believe, just saying that, just simply believe in Jesus without helping people understand why they need Jesus is not, is not telling them what they need to hear, is not telling them the truth of the Scriptures as, as we have presented to us. And so when you have opportunity to share the Gospel, you should explain the truth of the Gospel. You should point to the truth and point to the facts uh, that, that we're all sinners in need of a Savior. Uh, be, be gracious, but be boldly gracious. And don't be afraid of the consequences because God is at work and he will honor those who share the truth. Help unbelievers see that, that repentance is necessary. A brokenness for sin leads to repentance of sin and, and that leads to belief in Jesus Christ. And as you share the gospel, remember you ought to fear God over fearing man. Fear God. Honor God over honoring man. Honor God. Don't be afraid of what people will think of you if you're graciously speaking the truth of God's word. I, I don't think that we have to be obnoxious to share the truth of the gospel, but I do think we do a disservice to the gospel when we fail to tell people the whole truth because we're afraid of offending them. Now, there's one more thing I want to point out here. One thing unbelievers will say when they're told they're sinners in need of faith and repentance um, you know the, the line. But Christians are hypocrites. <laughs> oh, may that not be true of us. It can be true of us. May it not be true of us. May they not have a leg to stand on. May they not have anything to hold against us. Sin in the lives of unbelievers often is easy to point at and say, look, that's wrong. That's in opposition to God's word. And we should help unbelievers see that they are trapped in sin and without hope as long as they remain unrepentant and faithless. Even Matthew Henry writes, it is, better, it is better to incur the world's hatred by testifying against its wickedness than gain its goodwill by going down the stream with it. And so speak the truth to unbelievers, do it graciously, do it lovingly, and be ready for pushback. And don't be surprised by it. And at the same time, be sure that you aren't pushing back against God's word yourself. Because believers can be guilty of this, taking some of God's word, but not all of God's word, taking the parts we like and leaving out the parts we don't like. We ought to be careful that we aren't stiff-arming God ourselves. We can be guilty of wishing the Bible didn't speak so clearly or strongly about the sins that we prefer. We ought to ask God to examine our hearts and help us examine our hearts ourselves so that we might root out sin in our lives and do serious business with sin that we need to get right with God so that the believer, unbelievers we witness to don't have a leg to stand on when they say all believers are hypocrites. May they not see that in our lives. If unbelievers reject Jesus because of the de demands he makes of repentance for sin and calls people to live a life of faith and obedience to his word, let them reject him because it's his truth and not because they look at our lives and say, look, see, believer, you know, people who, who say they're believers in Jesus, they're, they're hypocritical. They don't do what they say that I'm supposed to be doing. As believers, we can be guilty of rejecting God's truth. So examine your heart with the word, 
ask God to help you take a, take a magnifying glass to your life that you would not overlook and willingly overlook sinfulness in your own life and refuse to do serious business with it with God's Word by the work of the Holy Spirit, with the power of the Spirit working in you to repent of it and thank God for the forgiveness that's already yours and, and ask for His help in saying no to temptation and sin in your life. Unbelievers may call believers hypocrites, but examine your life and work on your own life so that you're not giving unbelievers an excuse for their unbelief. So read the word. Let it convict you of your sin. Seek to read the word in a, in, uh, with, with fresh eyes. Uh, be careful when you come to the scriptures that you don't skim through it because I've read that before. I've read that so many times before I know what it says. If you'll slow down, that's why I said this this morning something about journaling the scriptures If we're uh, as we preach through the the gospel of John to write down the words that Jesus that uh, you know the, write down the words that God gave you from his word in your own hand will will make you slow down and think about them in a new way, a fresh way as the Holy Spirit takes the word and teaches you with it and encourages you with it and corrects you with it. Focus on the truth and and maybe force yourself to slow down and think carefully about the words. Maybe you've read them a hundred times, but read them a hundred and one times and ask the Lord to give you new eyes to see them as he intends for you to see them uh, against your life. Romans 12.2 gives us this correction and hope. So there's correction and hope in Romans 12.2. Do not be conformed to this world. There's the correction. Here's the hope. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind. I praise God for that. How about you? I praise God for that truth. Don't be conformed to this world. We sometimes kind of stop there. You need the truth of, uh, you need both barrels of (laughs) verse 2 from Romans 12. Don't be conformed to the world. Don't be like the world. How do you do that? you become transformed by the renewal of your mind. How do you do that? With the Word, with the Bible. Get God's Word in. The renewal of your mind, the changing of your attitude about sin in your life comes by the Word, comes by the work of the Holy Spirit when you get the Word in. Do not neglect the Word. Do not stiff-arm God's Word. Don't turn from the truth that speaks to the things that you're tempted with or the things that you give into. So as 1 Peter 1 instructs, let me leave you with this tonight. 1 Peter 1 instructs us from verses 13 and 14 and 15, prepare your minds for action. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. And then verse 16, since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. We serve a holy God, don't we? Jesus was holy and righteous in all he did. And yet he was hated by the world and is still hated today. And sometimes his followers will will bear the brunt of that hatred at times. And yes, there are those who still hate Jesus, but followers of the Lord Jesus Christ can show the world the love of Christ by their obedience to to God's word themselves by the sharing of the gospel truth of the need for repentance and turning from sin and turning to Christ in faith. And by our obedience to the Lord, we will have a powerful witness to the watching world.